Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Uh, we've started preaching through the Gospel of John. We started at the back end of the book in light of the season. Um, but uh, the idea uh, that will unfold is that John tells us these things so that we believe. And when we believe, we have life. Not just existence. Um, not just making it through. Not just, hey, today's Sunday. Tomorrow's going to be Monday. I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it to Wednesday. Not that kind of life. But a life that is stained by, marked by, and sustained by eternity. That's what he's offering to us as we believe this is the kind of life that we have. So um, I just note here that it's Easter Sunday. Some of you um, haven't been to church in a while or you're not sure even what church is about. You got drug here. You got promised lunch. I don't know, whatever. It is. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, Christianity, um, there have been attempts in our, in our day and in our age to co-opt Christianity. If you have been here uh, over the past couple of weeks as a church family, we've actually mentioned a couple of these as the text has unfolded it for us. Uh, Politics and politicians try to co-opt Jesus in order to uh, maintain their power. There's no amen, but it's true. You know that to be right. Um, The other side of it is religious folk in particular, but all sorts of people, Um, use Jesus as a preservative that they kind of shake into their life in order to preserve their own way of life. Um, And so today I just want to recognize that those are two versions of Christianity that exist in our culture that are not Christianity at all. They're just not. Politicians who co-opt Jesus to maintain power and uh, other people who use Jesus as a preservative to uh, maintain their way of life. It is not Christianity. He is way, way too big. He's the king. He doesn't need politics, okay? And secondly, he is way too disruptive um, uh, to, to uh, be a preservative. It's just the way uh, that it is. I, I think I want to say that out loud because there have been moments when in my own life, and certainly this is true broadly as I um, talk to people, um, there there have been moments in my own life and um, in other people's lives where they think that Jesus exists basically to baptize their way of life. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but like hot chicken places have started to pop up. Anybody with me on this? A couple of you. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, I've sat down with um, some of our church people, and we've actually found ourselves at hot chicken places. Uh, There's a new one over there on the freeway, um, Urban Bird, I think is the name of it, uh, pretty good. Uh, And uh, there's another one on Bay Area, the Cook Shack, also pretty good. If you go to a hot chicken place, guess what they serve? Chicken. That's all they serve. You want a steak? Don't go there. That's all I'm saying. They take chicken, they put it in various forms. You can have it on a sandwich, you can have it on a platter with some french fries. Uh, some people choose to put it in a salad, which is, you know, slightly disconcerting, but that's a whole different conversation altogether. But the first decision you have to make is not actually about that. They're, they're not going to ask you how you want your chicken first. The first decision you have to make is the spiciness of the chicken. So you go into this one particular place, and uh, the, the first option is country, which is basically they pulled it out of the, uh, of the freezer and, and microwaved it for a minute and dropped it on your plate. There's no spice. I'm not sure there's salt or pepper or anything in this, okay? It just comes out, and it's just a, a chicken tender. That's all that it is. I'm not knocking it. It was a good chicken tender. One of my kids ate it. It was fine. But then you ratchet it up past that to actual 
like hot chicken, okay? Like this is where we experience this. I guess, I guess finally like Nashville figured out that there's a market in Texas. I don't know. Anyway, they get it down. One of the places has a thing called Nashville Hot. It's perfectly spicy and uh, it was good. Had it the other day. Uh, went to a different place. I don't even remember what it was called, like Texas Heat or something like that or I don't know, uh, August in Texas. It was called something like that. Supposed to induce sweating, I, th- I think. And uh, anyway, it, it was good. Like, it was spicy. Anybody with me on this? Habanero base kind of crawls up in your mouth and just sticks around for a while. Anybody love that kind of thing? Who's with me? Man, it was good. I'm putting all that out here not to taint your lunch, okay? Your ham is going to be awesome. I'm putting that out there to say, this is how we approach Jesus sometimes. Here's my life, Jesus. And this week, honestly, give me country level. Oh, Jesus, this is my week and I got a little bit more faith or I'm in a little bit more need. Can you ratchet me up to Nashville hot? I mean, that would be okay. As if we can step in, ask Jesus to baptize the life that we have, and then just choose the level of spiciness depending upon how we're feeling in the moment. Folks, if you think that that is Christianity, if you think that Christianity co-opted by uh, people outside, uh, religious leaders, uh, politicians, religious leaders trying to preserve themselves, or my own life trying to determine the level of spicy that I need or desire in that particular moment, if you think that's Christianity, let me just say to you, I'm really glad that you're here. Because that is not Christianity at all. The message of Christianity is not about moralism. It's not about power plays. It's not about this or that or the other. I mean, it it is not about any of those things. Here is the message of Christianity, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and he has died for our sins and in our place, taking the death that we deserve. And then he rose again by the power of God, vindicating him as the Savior of the world and putting him in the seat as Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. And that right there is the message of Christianity. It is what makes Christianity Christianity. And frankly, it is the message that addresses the actual problem. Because our issue is not politics. Our issue is not preserving or changing a way of life. And our issue is not addressing Jesus on depending upon spicy level. Our issue is, according to the Bible, that we are spiritually dead and separated from him. And so Jesus steps into that darkness and death, defeats it on our behalf, so that dead people can live. That is the message of Christianity. Jesus has died And he indeed is risen. That's where we are. So three statements today out of John chapter 20. They kind of revolve around three different people or groups of people. We're going to start in verse 11. If you have a Bible, great, follow along. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can track along uh, with our live events. And if you want a Bible that you can put in your lap, there's still some on the sides of the tech booth back there. I know some of you made use of those already. Fantastic. If you want to take that Bible home with you, um, it is a gift to you. Go for it. Verse 11, chapter, uh, John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary, and that's Mary Magdalene, stood weeping outside of the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Hey, can we just say every so often, uh, Jesus does something in our life and we're like, what is happening here? Not recognizing that it's him. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take uh, him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. I don't think it was rebuke. I I think it was like, hey, I, I think it was like those videos that show up. They absolutely wreck me, by the way, that show up where uh, the serviceman or servicewoman is coming home and they're out at the airport and all of a sudden uh, somebody who loves them catches a glimpse and they just shout their name. Dad, honey, babe, whatever. And all of a sudden, running commences and there's tears flowing. I think that's what it was. Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, the local language of the day, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. That's a little funky. It's something like, hey, man, like, don't hold on to me. We got some stuff to do. Like, come on, come on, come on, let's go. Um, For I have uh, not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. I just want to note here that the message of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus speaks to us today. And one of the things that it speaks to us today is it just speaks to us about those, um, those of us who have pasts. Mary Magdalene here um, is a lady in Luke chapter 8, she's identified as a lady who had seven demons. Some of you are like, seven? I got that many who live in my house. Three of them are on the row right now with me, you know? You get the idea that there was this complete overtaking darkness that was in her life. And some of you do know what that means. Some of you do know what that presence feels like. And Jesus had delivered her from that. And then there are some questions and there are at least questions. And for, just because there's littler ears in the room about this lady's chosen profession, everybody nod your head. If you understand what I'm asking. Okay. Uh, so, so you got all of this wrapped up, right? You, you've got this vocational question and you've got these seven demons, this full expression of all the darkness here. And um, when Jesus died, you can imagine, you can imagine that her hope died too. She was there at the cross. You can imagine saying that nobody has ever treated me like him. Nobody has ever spoken to me like him. Nobody has ever said the word forgiveness. Nobody has ever brought freedom like he did. And when he died, maybe her hope died too. Maybe my past is actually the truer story. But listen, what the resurrection means is that forgiveness is real. Jesus died as the sacrifice for sins and was resurrected to make sure that we knew that he wasn't joking. When he said, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to purify you, to cleanse you, to um, change you, if you will, from all the unrighteousness that's in your life. 
The prophet Isaiah said, Though our, skin, our sins be as scarlet, you and I can be made even as white as snow. So the resurrection means that forgiveness is real. Paul, reflecting on this idea, said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, If Christ is not raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The death of Jesus is um, vindicated by the resurrection of Jesus. What that means for you and for me is that if you, if I, if we have passed, if we've got stuff that has happened behind us where we're looking over our shoulder going, oh, no, 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 please don't come back and get me. Please don't. We, we've got choices that we've made. We've got choices that were made for us. And the, the word of God has come to us in Jesus and say, you are forgiven. The resurrection means we can let all that stuff stay in the past. There is a reality that we get to step into in our day and in our age and in our future. Not just running from eternal death, but living today in eternal life. That's the message of Jesus. For Mary, and maybe for you and me both, it clicked at a certain moment. Look at verse 16. Uh, well, let, let's just back up to 15, cause, just because I think it's awesome. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. He had been laid in a tomb in a garden area. That's why. She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, his body is what she's talking about. Tell him, where have you laid him? And I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And then she knew. She knew it was him. It clicked for her when he called her name. And for you as an individual in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, it clicked for you when he called your name too. And if you're not yet, I just want you to hear me say, the Lord is here this morning because he's alive and he's not dead. You go looking for him among the the dead, you're not going to find him because he's alive today. And he wants to call your name. He wants to call your name. Mary. Mary. She turned and realized, this is everything that I've ever hoped for. That forgiveness is real. My past is my past, and I have a life that I get to live. Last thing, I'll just note here, that those who are impacted by this, once we receive this, once the the personal thing kind of comes on us, excuse me, once once it becomes real to us and we experience it um, personally, um, those who are impacted by this become ambassadors for him. This is verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he said these things to her. And uh, that he had said these things to her. Those who have impa- who've been impacted become ambassadors. That She had experienced it. It had affected her. It had gotten down in her soul, in her guts, and out it came saying, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. She's going to go tell this group of guys who are huddled up, we'll see it in just a second, hey, listen, this is what happened. Whoo, I've seen the Lord. Those impacted become ambassadors. Second, resurrection speaks to past, but secondly, resurrection speaks to those of us who need peace. It speaks peace. Look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so Sunday evening, 
Jesus is risen in the morning. This is in the evening. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they went and hid. In John, in, in uh, uh, verse 10 of the chapter, they said a couple of them had actually gone out to the tomb and then they went back home. They did not get it all. It was maybe, maybe, maybe in its nascent stages in their life, but they didn't understand. And so they went and they hid. Knowing that what the Jews had done to Jesus, they didn't want to see happen to them. That's why they hid for fear of the Jews. They locked the door. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, just imagine. I mean, you talk about a shock. That's like, whew. All of a sudden, doors are locked. You're hiding away. One candle lit. You don't want a bunch of noise. You're trying to figure out what's going on. Mostly just sitting in dark and despair. Jesus shows up. What's up, boys? Y'all okay? What just happened here? The disciples hid in fear. Um, because of the and I mean, let's just note, we get it. They were shocked, experiencing some version of paralysis on what to do. They, they were affected by the chaos of the weekend. They were disappointed. They were confused. So many of them were broken, especially Peter, denied him three times before the rooster crowed. And now he's just sitting in all of that guilt and all of that shame. They were afraid. They were out of sorts and they were on the edge of giving up. Does that sound like anybody you may know or live with? Into that moment, into that particular place, Jesus steps in and he says, peace. He speaks a word of peace. This kind of wholeness. He wants you and I to experience wholeness. That's the word, the Hebrew word shalom. But the idea is all the places where our lives are fraying and torn, Jesus is putting those back together. This is what he's saying, peace. Now, I, I I think we struggle when we experience these things, chaos and disappointment and frustration and, and brokenness and, um, uh, uh, this kind of shock and paralysis and being frayed and out of sorts and on the edge of giving up. I think we, we experience these kinds of things and, and um, it can push us away, but it can also draw us to God. The problem comes when we think and we kind of buy into this thing that we are experiencing, this thing that we're locked into and is shaping us and kind of coming at us. That is normal. Like when we take this kind of stuff and define it as normal, that becomes a problem. And then this kind of stuff transitions into something even worse. So where now we are defining something that's abnormal as normal. And now we are saying, I'm not sure I can even live without this. I don't even know if I want to give it up. That's where the danger lies. When we take this stuff as normal and then we say, I'm not sure. And you're like, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's take on a couple of things. In our cultural melee, what about anger? What about anger? Some of us are so used to living with anger that we think being angry is normal. And frankly, if somebody tried to take it away, you wouldn't know who you were, so you're not sure you want to give it up. And the resurrection power of Jesus steps into your world and into mine and said, man, that is ripping stuff at the seams. Peace. Peace. For some of us, it's not that. It's like this um, 
uh, these kind of desires that get out of whack. It can be for someone or for a certain kind of life or for something. And these desires just kind of churn up inside of us and overwhelm us. And because we just give in and give in and give in to these, they become our masters. They become our rulers. They become uh, the king of our lives and the Lord who kind of directs us. We are at um, the mercy of our own desires. And we just give in and give in and give in. And you think to yourself, I wouldn't know any other way of life. And the resurrection power of Jesus comes to you and to me and says, that is killing you. I'm going to offer you something different. How about some peace? How about some peace? You see it in addiction. All of these things, whatever your addiction might be, This is normal for me to live in this cycle. This is normal for me to want one more, to buy one more, to try one more. And if you take that away from me, I don't know who I would be. And the resurrection power of Jesus comes to your life and to mine and says, you do not have to live at the mercy of that addiction. You can be made whole. I, in the run-up to Easter, I read this story. I think somebody may have sent it to me anyway. It's on the Internet, so it has to be true. <laughs> Lady has um, flown into a different city. She's at a conference, got a couple of meetings. Um, so she walks out of her hotel, catches the Uber, is driving on along. Hey, we need to get to, you know, 120 Main Street, whatever Uber guy takes off. He's running, driving on along, concentrating pretty hard. She gets a text in the middle and says, hey, uh, change of venue. We actually had to move from here to here. So she's like, oh, my goodness. Okay, so we got to reroute. You know, like, Mr. Uber, can you please reroute? But she sees he's locked in pretty good. There's some traffic and all this kind of stuff. And uh, she reaches up and just kind of taps him on the shoulder to get his attention. And he freaks out. She is, at this point, trying to make this decision. Do I jump out of a moving vehicle or am I going to die in an Uber? Because this guy has gone over the edge. So much so that he gets his wits about him just enough, hands shaking, to pull over to the side and just sit there for... (sighs) She's like, well... She summons her courage and says, Mr... Are you okay? He says, it's my very first day of driving for Uber. I used to drive a hearse. (laughs) Some of us are so used to driving around with the dead stuff that when we encounter life, we don't know what to do. And Jesus steps into that and speaks the word peace. He shows up 
And he shows off. Look, what, look at what happened. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad. So he, he steps in and he shows them this. Um, he had the scars to pay for sin. This is what happened on Good Friday. It is the reason why we call it good. Because he paid the price that we can never pay. And he had the scars to prove it. But here's the deal. He kept the scars in order to tell the story. And what is that story? Death has become life. You can experience the freedom that comes when you put your trust in Jesus. And live in, into a life that is marked by um, eternity. The whole wholeness, if you will, was not an improvement plan. You weren't upgrading a model. You weren't checking into the next trim level. Nobody gave you a, 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 a free thing so that you could experience it a little bit more. No, no, no. Jesus is not in the business of taking your life as it is and just improving it every so often. I'm sorry. Um, we need to download a new software so that you can operate a little bit more. This is not that at all. He's not looking for you 2.0 or 2.14 or whatever it may be. He is saying, I'm going to to give you a whole new kind of life. This is what he's after. And the result of this in their lives was transformation. Locked in a room, hiding from the Jews. And the disciples were glad. That word there is joy. They had joy when they saw him. This is exactly what he had promised to them earlier. He's saying, I'm going away, but then you're going to see me again. And when you see me again, I, you will have a joy that nobody can take away. The world may go to hell on a slip and slide, greased up with baby oil, downhill all the way as fast as it can go. But here's the deal. Nobody can take away your joy. Why? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Your life and my life may be completely out of sorts, but nobody can take Take away your joy because Jesus has been raised from the dead. The resurrection speaks peace. And that peace transforms us. And part of what happens as a result of that is joy. But more than that, he said to them, um, Peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He sent them on mission. Those who had been impacted by this, as we said last time, become ambassadors. And this is indeed what happened. In their witness, they not only bore witness um, by telling others about the story of, of what God had done in Jesus, but listen, more than that, they died as martyrs. And nobody dies for something they know to be a lie. They knew. That transformative power released an unstoppable joy in them and that turned into a witness that cost them their lives and they were glad to give it. Last thing. Resurrection speaks to doubt. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, he was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He missed the meeting. Bummer. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. I just want to note that there's two kinds of doubt here that um, might be in the room. One is a little bit more honest doubt. The other is a, a, little, a more obstinate kind of doubt. Either one, Jesus is not afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your doubt or your questions. Those doubts can push us away or they can draw us near. And um, I, I want to just say out loud to us, for anybody who has walked in the room with a kind of honest doubt that says, Jesus, I'm here on Easter, but I'm not sure 
that I'm going to be able to face what's in front of me. I don't know if Sunday is going to help me handle Monday because Monday, it looks pretty bad. Jesus, I I don't know if I can face um, the the death of this person or the, the, um, the, the going away of this person or the separation of this person. Jesus, my life is a sieve. It has been punched through with holes by the circumstances and the stuff that is that has happened to me. And listen, you need to strain pasta. I'm your guy. It'll go right through me. And Jesus steps in, unafraid of your doubt, unafraid of your questions, and says this. You want to talk about holes? I'm happy to talk about holes. For some, it's not, it's, it's the more obstinate version of this. Unless I see, unless I see. This often happens, just pastorally I know, this often happens when we encounter something that Jesus says or he does that we don't necessarily understand or agree with. We're like, boy, I don't know. Unless I see. Here's what I know. Verse 25, uh, 6, excuse me. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Glad you showed up, Thomas. Although the doors were locked, does this sound familiar? Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace, boys. How are we doing? Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Come here, Thomas. Come here. Put your finger here. See my hands. Put your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. He is unafraid of your questions. He is unafraid of your doubts. Here's what I should say about this. Um, that if Jesus rose from the dead then he deserves a hearing on everything else. I mean, if the guy said, I'm going to come, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to get up from the dead, and if he uh, does indeed show up, if he does indeed die, and if three days later he gets up from the dead, then maybe, just maybe, we ought to listen to him on the rest of it too. So I can bring my doubts, I can bring my questions, I can bring all of that stuff, I can even bring the parts of where I'm like, Jesus, I don't like this at all. But maybe, just maybe, if he's the one who has done all of that, maybe I should be the one listening to him. If he rose from the dead, he deserves a hearing on all of it. Secondly, I just note that he knows us and he is willing to call us to change. Thomas, come here. I don't think the disciples had to report to Jesus. Dude, Jesus, Thomas, Thomas was like, no, man, unless I see. I don't think that's how that went. I think Jesus stepped into the room, stepped into their world, came to where they were behind the locked doors, the whole thing, and looked at Thomas and went, I know what your issue is. I know what your questions are. I know where your doubt lies. And I know how your heart is shifted and positioned right now. So come here. Let's do this. He knows us. And he is willing to call us to change. Now, church family and everybody listening, that is so critically important because his pursuit of you is loving. He doesn't beat Thomas over the head. He calls him to experience him. This is exactly what he's doing today. It's what he did with Mary Magdalene. Mary, it's what he did with his disciples. Hey, you don't have to live in fear anymore. 
It's what he did with Thomas. He pursues us, and that pursuit is loving. And lastly, he has the authority to command us to believe. He is the one who sets the relationship, the relational terms, not us. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. That's what he tells Thomas. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas said, my Lord and my God. This is exactly what happened. He commands us to believe. All week long has been leading up to this moment. Jesus enters into Jerusalem um, on Sunday. The palm fronds and the, the parade and all the stuff that was happening there. Hosanna to the son of David. Spends the entire week showing his sinlessness. By Even when he was interacting with the worst kinds of sinners. Shows his sinlessness. Dies as the sacrificial lamb of God on the Passover in order to take away the sins of the world. Easter Saturday is filled with doubt and disappointment and darkness terrible stuff and then Easter Sunday comes and he says to you and to me you want you just just come here come close come see come experience now do not disbelieve but believe Tony Evans we talked about this um, last week that, that phrase in John chapter 19 it is finished Tony Evans said this When he said it is finished, it's really important that we note that he did not say, I am finished. He said it is finished because he was just getting started. That's true in your life and it's true in mine. Do not disbelieve, but believe. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, I want to invite you to not disbelieve but believe and know that when this is impacting us, that it sends us out as ambassadors because if you haven't noticed, the world's a little nuts out there and it needs people to step into that world, into those places, into those arenas, into those relationships and say, listen, there's a better way and it's following a man named Jesus. He has died and he has risen and he's worth following. And if you're not a believer in here, you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say exactly what Jesus said to Thomas, what he will say to you. He calls you by name and says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Believe. And you will find forgiveness. You will find freedom. You'll find a forever family, a part of a a church that can embrace you and help you know and follow him. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll have a moment to respond. I'll be at the back if you want to pray with someone or you want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Let me pray for us first, though. Father, I I ask that um, you would take um, what's been said here and um, push it down to the levels where we need to hear it. Uh, Don't let anything distract us in this moment. Don't let anything uh, pull us away. Just help us to lock in. And I pray, Father that as we do so, that you would make the changes in us that you want to make. Call us by name. Call us to faith. Call us to live that out. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.